Good morning. My name is Jeremy Kingsley. I'm from South Carolina. I woke up this morning cold. So it's cold here. Let's put another log on the fire. Hang in there. Uh, my grandfather, Russell Kingsley, was an evangelist who lived in New York, actually. My dad was born in New York, but I grew up in Wisconsin till middle school and then Washington, D.C. after that. Went down to South Carolina, go to college and grad school, and I've lived there ever since. My wife's name is Dawn. We've been married 18 years. We got married when I was 12. It's been going really good. I have an 11-year-old son named Jaden, a 5-year-old son named Dylan, and a beautiful, precious, six-month-old puppy dog uh, named Cody. So it's great to meet you. I'd appreciate your prayers. I'm in a what's called a transition in life. Okay, so I turned 40 this past year. Some of my speaking ministry is starting to change. I've for about 17, 18 years, I mostly spoke within the church circles, but now I'm going to be starting to speak within corporate. Uh, business circles, non-Christian arenas, but I'm teaching biblical principles in those arenas. Things like humility and service, uh, integrity, things like that. So I'm going to be planting seeds out in that world. So I'd appreciate your prayers. If people uh, start to visit my website, they might start to wonder, well, where's all the stuff he was doing for the church? Does he hate the church now? No, I don't hate the church now. Still love you. Still going to speak in churches when I can. Just giving you an update there. Appreciate your prayers as we try to minister out in the world to the lost. Let's say a short prayer and we'll get into this this morning. Lord, would you please change us? Amen. That's a short one. Okay, so I want you to understand a couple of things. People in life often feel left out. Right? If I said to you, have you ever felt left out? The answer is going to be yes. The question is in what kind of capacity, in what context? Sometimes people feel left out when they're little. You know, they go out to a playground and maybe they're going to play some game. And they don't get picked or on the team that they want. And they feel kind of left out. It can happen in junior high or middle school when someone has a, a party and, and that person doesn't get invited to the party and they feel left out. It can happen in college. When a guy asks out a girl and she says, no way, I'm not going on a date with you. And that guy feels left out. <laughs> it can happen in your marriage from a husband and wife making each other feel left out. It can happen from parents to children, parents making their children feel left out. Sometimes parents feel left out from their children. Grandparents often feel left out, sometimes with friends. You feel not included, not a part of what's happening, and you feel left out. That's why I wanted to go over these scriptures this morning, because this is a guy, a man with leprosy, that felt left out. In Matthew chapter 8, this story. Now, before I get into this, there's a rule that I have, and I've had it for a long time, and it goes simply like this. We don't read the Bible to finish. We read the Bible to change. Okay, your words are finish and change. Okay, let's review. We don't read the Bible just to finish. We read the Bible to change. Okay, one more time. It's not a newspaper. We don't read it and disregard it the next day. We don't just read it so we can finish. We read it so we can change. Now, do I want you to finish the entire book? Yes. 
I'm talking about in your time frame. I know I've done this many times where I wake up in the morning, I'm eating my breakfast and reading my Bible or at nighttime, wherever I'm reading it. And I'm starting to rush through it so I can finish. I can go on and do other things. That's not helping. I'm not a better Christian just because I read it. I'm a better Christian when I apply it so my life changes. Amen. I'm from the South, so I might need you to help me there. Amen. Okay, so I want you to think about that as we read this. Let's just go over it one more time. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. There were large crowds following Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him, knelt or bowed before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, could you make me clean or heal me from my disease? Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Now let's take our time because we're not reading the Bible to finish. Reading the Bible to, you better be ready, man, because I'm going to throw that fastball at you all day long. And I need you to hit that thing out of the park every time. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So there's a large crowd following Jesus. He's a great teacher. He's already been doing some miracles. So a lot of people are wanting to see him, listen to him, watch him, be around him. There's a large crowd there. And then it says suddenly a man with leprosy comes up. Now this is interesting because this story is also in two other spots. I mean, if there's any story in the Bible, it's important because it's in the Bible. This one's also in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5. So it's in there three times. We probably should really pay attention. The man with leprosy, one of the other gospels says he had a severe case of leprosy. Now, what does that mean? Some of the severe case of leprosy shows certain symptoms. It was a terrible disease. There were symptoms like the person with a severe case of leprosy in Bible times, their hair would turn pitch white. Now, that doesn't mean that people in here have it. (laughs) Sorry. I've got some too. I'm just saying. Their hair would turn pitch white. It would affect their vocal cords, their larynx, and their voice box. Someone in a severe case of leprosy could not talk or sing like worship team in a smooth voice. They would have a rough, gruff-sounding voice. Hello, how are you doing? It's nice to meet you. My name's Jeremy. It's destroying their throat, right, their voice. But the worst piece was it affected the central nervous system. Why was that a big deal? Because it was affecting it in a way where they weren't able to feel a lot of people feel that, or think when they feel pain that that's a bad thing when actually it's a blessing to feel pain because you know something's wrong. You can get medicine. You can go to the doctor. Someone has a severe case of leprosy, they can't feel. So, for instance, let's say someone with leprosy was walking and they stepped on something and cut the bottom of their foot open, but they didn't feel it. They didn't feel the cut. So they didn't think about it initially. Maybe the cut gets infected. The infection goes into their bloodstream, maybe up their leg or into their body, which starts to make other things. And and, and there's beginnings of other sicknesses that start to spawn off of that, right? Now think about this. All of a sudden they start to see symptoms of these other sicknesses. Well, is it the leprosy? Well, yes and no. It's a different injury. It's a different sickness, But you weren't able to feel when it first started because of the leprosy. When you look at pictures in the past of people with these types of uh, leprosy, that many times they're missing fingers, missing ears. Their skin has terrible boils and different effects all over them 
because they didn't feel initially other sicknesses that came on or disease. The people with leprosy in New Testament times, they had to go through some tough things. They had to walk around in the, in the outer community because they weren't allowed in town, but they could beg outside the city gates. They would beg and they would walk around, but they had to yell something unclean. They had to say that phrase over and over. So they would walk around yelling unclean, unclean. What does that mean? Well, unclean meant in this time period, you were not allowed to participate in any social or religious activities. Can't participate in any social or religious. Can't come to a church service. Can't go to the clue services. Can't go to a chapel. And you can't be involved in anything social either. Social gatherings. Can't go to a party at a wedding. You can't do anything like that. You're not allowed to be there. You have to stay outside of town. You could live in a leper colony, a special place where all the lepers could stay together. There was also a rule called the six-foot rule. Okay, let's review. What's it called? Six-foot rule. I'm six feet tall. You're supposed to stay six feet away from someone with leprosy. So if they're walking around on the outskirts of town, you're going on a trip or you're going outside of town, you see someone with leprosy, you stay six feet away from them. It's a rule. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I see that today in our country, at churches, at jobs, right? In universities, schools. You know what I mean? It's not a rule, but I see it happen. I see people who who notice someone that they don't want to be around. They don't like the way they dress. They don't like the way they look. They don't like their skin color. They don't like their accent. Whatever it is, there's something about them. And they say, I don't want to be near them. I'm uncomfortable because they're different than me. So I'm going to make sure I stay six feet away from them. Sometimes it's not just external things. Sometimes, like in the Christian world, it might be an argument or a disagreement where families are holding a grudge against each other. They could come into church and they haven't got the apology that they so richly deserve. It's never my fault. It's always their fault. And I'm not going to talk with them. I'm not going to sit by them. I'm not going to shake their hand till they apologize. If they're over there, I'm over here. If they're back there, I'm up here. That's not good. That's not healthy spiritually. And that's being prideful. You know what God says about being prideful? He says, I resist the proud. That's an interesting word. And I looked up the Greek word resist, and it was used uh, a couple different ways in New Testament times. One, it meant to build a wall around a city of separation from the good guys and the bad guys. Sometimes in military terms, there was a wall of soldiers to keep different people away from the leaders. And God says, let me make it real clear. You and I are not going to be close when you're being prideful because I'm the exact opposite of that. I can't have anything to do with that. I want to be close with you, but I'm not going to be close when you're being prideful. See, these guys had a six foot rule. We don't have the rule, but sometimes we still operate underneath it, it seems. Now, there was a group called the Pharisees. They were supposed to be religious leaders. They were supposed to be teaching the people about God, but actually they were making it worse. If you've ever heard about the Pharisees or read about them, they were prideful. 
you know, they had all these different rules that they would follow and think they were better than other people because of what they did and how they dressed. And they said, you know, that six foot rule with the people with leprosy, that's not good enough for us. I was reading in my Jewish history book, they had a rule called the 50 yard rule downwind. Interesting. Not six feet, 50 yards downwind. Why? Well, think about this. They would say, we are good, you are bad. I'm holy, you're unholy. I'm righteous, you're a sinner. You probably got sick because you're a horrible sinner, right? Is God punishing you? He's probably punishing you for the disease. That's how it works. You're a terrible sinner. What'd you do? Did you lie, steal, cheat, lust, lost your temper, curse? I mean, whatever it is, obviously you did something horrible. That's why you got sick. Now, let me take a little time out for a second. Are there certain sins that you could get a physical sickness from? Are there sins you could get a physical sickness from? Yes or no? Sure. If you get drunk and you drink alcohol all the time and it destroys your brain cells, destroys your liver, and you start to see the physical aspects of of drinking too much alcohol, well, that's called reap what you sow. You put all that in, that's what happens to your body. Drugs, right? That's what happens. If you are involved with sexual sin and you're having sex with a bunch of different people and you get a sexual disease and your body starts to deteriorate, that's called sin, reap what you sow. But let me ask you another question. When anyone gets sick, is it always because of sin every time? No, it's not. So we can't be making those judgment calls, right? There might be a missionary who's sick, who's serving in Africa or Cambodia, who eats some food and gets bit by a bug, and now they're in the hospital and sick. It's not because they sinned. So you got to be careful with that. These Pharisees didn't care. We want you to be 50 yards away from us. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We don't want to see you. We don't want to hear you 50 yards downwind. We don't want to smell you because as your body breaks down, it lets off certain stenches. We want total separation. We are good. You are bad. Now let's review. I said at the beginning, how many of you have ever felt left out? But let me change a question here. These Pharisees made people feel left out. So I'll ask you a question. Have you ever made someone feel left out? You ever made someone feel left out? That's different, isn't it? When you're on that end. I remember I've done this multiple times in my life. And I remember when I was a senior in high school, it was 1989. (laughs) And uh, I was in in psychology class and we had this teacher who gave us an exam. And it was one of these exams. It was way too hard. It was like every single person failed it. You ever taken one of those tests where like the whole class fails, right? And you're just going over like, this is not fair. This was not on the review sheet. She didn't tell us to study that chapter. So everyone got like 60s and I was maybe in the 40s, but we don't talk about that. And we start going over the exam. I think it was 100 questions. And I was in a bad mood that morning for some reason. And the lady behind me, the girl behind me, her name was Beverly. I looked back and I noticed... There was one person who did not fail. It was her. She had like a 98. She had missed like two out of the hundred. There's always the one person who doesn't fail. Maybe some of you are that 
person who you're gifted in a certain way. God's given you certain abilities to read things and retain them. And you have some academic and intellectual savvy that the rest of us, maybe we don't have. And I'm thankful that God's made you that way. I don't know if we'll ever be friends, but I'm glad (laughs) that you have that. Okay. But this particular day, I'm not in a good mood. We're going over the exam, and Beverly behind me raises her hand. She said, yeah, Miss Wharton, you marked number 17 wrong. And it says in chapter 5, right, section 2, line 17, that in the experiment with Pavlov's dogs, and I'm like, wait a second, what is she doing? She only missed two. Is she trying to get a point for one of the ones she got wrong? Is she trying to get an extra point? She doesn't need extra points. I need extra points. Wow. Well, I'm getting frustrated. A couple minutes later, guess what? She raised her hand again. She missed two. She's trying to get those two overturned to get the perfect score. She raised her hand again. You also marked number 29 wrong. And it says in chapter 16, section 4, line 4. Now I'm thinking I've had enough of this. This is a true story. I want to put a stop to this. Now, what I'm about to do is a sin. Let's just be clear. I'm about to make her feel left out. My dad used to call it this. I'm about to cross a line. You ever heard that phrase? Cross a line. I'm living in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to go over to Virginia for a couple minutes. Okay. So I turn around and I yell at her in front of the whole class. And I say, Beverly, shut up. And everyone goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's crossing the line. But I'm not done yet. I'm not anywhere near done. I'm about to go to Mexico. <laughs> I turn around and I said, Beverly, shut up. Why are you trying to get two extra points when you got a 98 and everyone else failed it? That's why no one likes you and that's why you don't have any friends. Como esta? And the teacher starts yelling at me, Jeremy Kingsley, you go to the principal's office right now, mister. I said, I know where it is. (laughs) Now, this is a true story. That happened in 1989. A couple years ago, my wife and I are going over our emails. And this email pops up. Hey, Jeremy and Dawn, this is Beverly from high school. Do you remember me? And I'm thinking, oh, dear. And then I get the tap from Jesus. You ever get the Jesus tap? Hey, I need to talk to you. Remember what you did? See, this falls underneath a category called unconfessed sin. Unconfessed. See, when you become a Christian, you'll hear these phrases in the churches about become a Christian and God forgives you of your sin, past, present, and future. 
But that can be confusing sometimes because the Bible also says, confess your sin to God and to each other. Well, if I'm already forgiven for everything, why do I have to confess? Because there's two types of righteousness. There's something called positional righteousness, which allows you to have a relationship with Jesus, which is being forgiven for all your sin. Then there's a practical righteousness, which is a daily righteousness about your intimacy with him. And he says, listen, when you sin against only me, you and I have to deal with this. Now, all your sin is against me, but sometimes there's other people involved. And if you sin against another person, you need to go confess to them, apologize to them, then come back to me. If you sin against them and just come to me straight and try to say, well, I'll just tell God I'm sorry, I don't accept that. See, I don't just look at the outside, I look at the heart. If you're not humble enough to go to the other person and say you're sorry... I know you're really not being humble right now and just asking me. You just want the insurance. See, when I was 17, didn't bother me that much to hurt someone. It bothers me a lot now because I love Jesus a lot more now than I did then. And I know that when you hurt people, you hurt Jesus. So I hit reply and I said, dear Beverly, I don't know if you remember this, but a long time ago when we were seniors in high school, I yelled at you. I embarrassed you. I'm really sorry. Could you please forgive me? You don't ever, ever make someone feel left out. This guy is interesting. He's felt left out because of his leprosy, but he's around this big crowd and Jesus is there and he wants to go up to Jesus and Jesus is very approachable. I don't know if you notice that in the Bible, how approachable he is. He doesn't care if you're old. He doesn't care if you're young. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care what your style is. He doesn't even care what your sin is. Moses, murder, David, adulterer. I mean, think about it. He just wants you to come to him because he loves you and he wants to help you with your sin and with all of your life. Now, I know that reading scripture, and maybe you've read this in scripture and other historical documents, there were two types of normal situations in New Testament times where people would throw rocks at people. One was a stoning to kill someone. You throw stones and rocks till they're dead. Also, with leprosy, it came up where people would throw rocks at lepers if they thought they were breaking into the rules of the six foot or the 50 yard zone. Now, we don't know if that's happening here because the Bible doesn't say. I don't know if they're throwing rocks. I don't know if they're yelling at him, telling him he's not allowed to be there. I don't know. All I know is that he's there, there's a lot of people there, and Jesus is there. And all of a sudden, he just goes up to Jesus, but he does something interesting. It's like he makes a huge statement without talking. You ever hear that phrase, sometimes actions speak louder than words? He goes up to Jesus and makes a huge statement before he even opens his mouth. He walks up to Jesus and he bows down. It's a word called proskuneo. It's one of the main words in the Bible for worship. To kneel or crouch down. Physically, not just in your heart. Can you imagine that? I mean, there's all these people. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's Jesus. This guy's coming up to him. Doesn't even say a word. Just walks up to him and bows down. 
Now watch this. After humility, he talks. You understand? After humility. Which makes me wonder about myself. How often do I just flippantly start talking to him? Then he says something interesting. Lord, if you're willing, would you please help me with my disease? Now, wait a second. He just said, if you're willing. I'm not crying. I just got some dirt in my eye. need a vacuum up here. He said, if you're willing. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, I heard you do miracles. And I was wondering if you could do a miracle now. He didn't say, I heard that you have something involved with supernatural things. And could we pull some? I heard you have power. And I was wondering if you could use the power right now because my disease is really bad. Could you use that power now? He didn't bring any of that up. He just said, if you're willing. I mean, he's putting Jesus on the spot. You know what he's saying? If in your heart, there's a little spot where you would choose to help someone like me. Would you please help? Jesus loves what's going on here. He says, you know what? I liked how you came up and said something huge before you talked. Your action made a big statement. I'm going to match you. I'm going to do something huge before I talk. And what does it say? Jesus reached out and he touched him. Can't do that. Not allowed. Can't do that. Can't touch someone with leprosy. It's against the rules. Now you might catch leprosy, not to mention you're unclean now. Now you, Jesus, are going to have to go through some ceremonial washings and ritual cleansing so you can be allowed into social and spiritual things again. You don't touch someone with leprosy. What are you thinking? Come on now. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to make a little church group, a little group from the university that gets a bunch of paperwork together and you sign some documents so you don't get sued when you go down to the hospital in Buffalo or New York City and you go to the special place called the AIDS ward where everyone that's in there has AIDS, where there's men that used to weigh 200 pounds and now they weigh 50 pounds. And the only thing that ever touches them is instruments and the tests that they do on them. Are you going to go in there and go in and actually hold their hand or touch them? Because the only thing that ever touches them are instruments. Maybe we should. Jesus is breaking this rule. Not all rules are made to be broken. This one was. I don't care if it says I can't touch him. I love him. I have compassion for him. I'm going to show him right now. I mean, what was his response? If you're the guy with leprosy, when's the last time someone touched him? Physical contact. Jesus says, if I'm willing, of course I'm willing. If there's a spot in my heart, of course there is. I give grace to the humble. Be healed instantly. Leprosy was gone. You know that was special. You know that was special. 
I don't know the exact physical defects. All I know is generalities. I can just ask the question, though. Was his hair white and it turned back to an original color, black, brown, red, blonde? I don't know. All the sores he would have all over his body, did all of a sudden his skin just heal up? Was he missing fingers and now he has fingers again? Was his voice rough and gruff, but it turned back to smooth when he went to tell Jesus, thank you, Lord, thank you so much for helping me with my disease. I don't know what happened. All I know is it says his leprosy immediately gone. Do you understand what's happening? Jesus says, listen, I'm about building this kingdom, not about tearing it down. Now I'm looking for humble people who want to be humble and who understand that I'm the most important thing and who also want to put other people before themselves. We're not about pushing people away. We're about bringing people in. We're not trying to tear down the kingdom of Jesus. We're trying to build up the kingdom of Jesus. So let me ask you, close with these three things. Number one, maybe you feel left out. I mean, recently, something with your mom, dad, husband, wife, friend, church person, student, you feel left out. And I'm sorry if you do. I hope we can help with that. Maybe you're the person who's been pushing people away. Like the Pharisees, you're making someone feel left out. Husband, wife, child, parent, grandparent, friend. And there's some pride thing going on and you don't want to be around them for some reason. You're going to push them away because something about you and something about your opinion and something about your thought, because it's you. You're not humble enough. You need to stop that. Or three, maybe you're acting like Jesus, and I hope that you are. You don't care about how old they are. You don't care about their clothes or their skin color or how they talk or how they dress. You're just looking out to love people and bring them and introduce them to Jesus. And if you're doing that, please don't stop. Would you bow your heads for a second? Close your eyes. Lord, would you please help us to continue to learn what it means to love you and to love people. Look for those especially that feel left out. Help us not to make people feel left out, but to concentrate on what it means to love people so we can build the kingdom of Jesus and not tear it down. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.